Well, good morning. I'm going to say a particular welcome to those of you who are new here this morning. My name is Alex. For those of you who are new in person or online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, what we're all about is really, really simple. It's just about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, uh, and engaging our world for good together. We hope that you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Again, whether you're in person or online, we're so, so glad that you're here. Uh, and whether it's first time or first time in a long time, or uh, you've been an old timer, thank you for joining us here this morning. This is week one of a new series called Hungry for God. I've got three kids, and when one of my children was about age three, she loved four food groups. Cheerios, goldfish, raisins, and grazins. Those were the four food groups she loved, right? For a whole year, she basically subsisted on Cheerios, goldfish, raisins, and craisins. It was a miracle she survived. Over time, over the period of time, through my wife's infinite patience and just a little bit of my patience, we managed to expand her Palette, right? We managed to squeeze in a few vegetables here and there, managed a little bit of protein, and by God's grace, over a long period of time, we eventually got her eating more than those four food groups of Cheerios, goldfish, raisins, and grazes. That was actually her menu actually expanded. Now, fast forward about 13 years later, and she is in highly competitive gymnastics. She is at the gym five days a week for three hours. Do you know how far raisins, craisins, goldfish, and Cheerios would have gotten her if she had never expanded her palate? She would, have, she would have died five minutes into the gym. Here's what happens with us. We are all born with natural hungers and drives that dictate much of what we decide to do. Who we decide to date or marry or not ma- date or not marry. Uh, jobs, careers, vocations, travel. We have all these innate hungers and drives and desires in our hearts. And then as we go along, we pick up more desires, more drives. We see someone who's got something that we don't have. I want that all of a sudden. I see a commercial. I want that all of a sudden. And so we have these natural desires. And then we acquire other drives and other hungers along the way. And Apart from any intentionality on our part, apart from any spiritual work, any emotional work, your natural hungers are going to follow along something like this in a very narrow range of options. It's going to look something like approval, success, control, comfort, pleasure, independence, right? Those are going to be your Cheerios, your goldfish, your raisins, your craisins. Left to your own devices, if you could feed these appetites every single day, you would. This is all you live on. Make me happy, right? Make me satisfied. So these are the kind of hungers that drive most of what we do. And and what happens then is we get really busy, right? Life is really busy. Maybe you get a job. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you get married. All these things kind of pick up. And you don't even think about these hungers anymore. You don't even evaluate them anymore. You just let them drive your life. For some of you, these hungers are just driving your entire life. They're even ruining your life. And you don't even realize what's driving the bus. So left to our own devices, we would all eat Cheerios, goldfish, raisins and craisins, money, control, Approval, independence, pleasure, over and over and over again for years and decades. And then something happens. Life happens. And suddenly you're up against situations that your raisins, craisins, goldfish, and Cheerios can't sustain you in. You get squeezed. Relationally, marriage, kids, job, financially, medical stuff. You get squeezed and you, you realize, I don't have the emotional or spiritual strength to carry myself or to sustain myself through these challenges. Or, or maybe something crazy happens. Like God comes to you and says, I want to give you spiritual power and authority. <laughs> and we don't have the emotional, spiritual strength bandwidth to hold wisely and steward this great gift that God wants to give us. 
Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about spiritual power in everyday places. We've been talking about bringing God's gift of power and authority in the spirit out there into our homes and workplaces and schools. All good stuff. The next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to invite us all into an inward journey. Where we go to the one who has all power, all authority, all strength. To cultivate a hunger for God that can sustain us. Through all of life's challenges, all the ups and downs, that you might become the man or woman God designed for you to be. Because here's what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that you are hardwired with a hunger for God. And if you settle for less, you become less than human. If you settle for less than God, if you never get to the point where you're actually cultivating a hunger for God, if you ever, don't ever, ever access that hunger for God, if you just settle for control, money, independence, pleasure, having your own way, being left alone, people's applause or approval, then you never become the, the man or woman God designed you to be and never kind of come to the full strength that God wired you up for. So over the next few weeks, we're going to invite everyone to press in past what you normally settle for, past your Cheerios, goldfish, raisins, and craisins, to access the hunger for God that's planted. Some of us deep, deep, deep inside of us. We have never felt it before. We're going to invite you to step in and see how God might want to meet you as we prepare and move toward Easter. The passage that uh, we're starting with today, the passage Duncan just read is in Acts chapter 4. And it's helpful to have a little bit of the backstory before we jump into the passage. So in Acts chapter 3, just before that, Peter and John, followers of Jesus, the leaders of the early church, they are, they're going to the temple and they come across a man who's been lame from birth, crippled from birth, who begs every day at the temple courts. And they, they speak healing of him. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. He gets up and starts dancing and singing and a whole crowd gathers because they all recognize him. He's been at the temple courts every day. They all see him and they're like, what's going on here? And Peter and John declare that Jesus Christ is the one in his name was sort of this, this healing has happened and people are just overjoyed and the authorities come out and they're not so overjoyed they're kind of annoyed because they're the ones that crucified Jesus just a few months earlier right there in Jerusalem they don't like them talking about Jesus so they they locked him up overnight and the next morning they kind of call this little tribunal and there's Peter and John and this man who was born crippled who has just been healed and and they kind of say what's going on and, and Peter says listen y'all killed him God raised him back to life. This man standing here is proof positive because in his name, he was healed. They don't know what to do with this because they can't say, they can't deny that this crazy healing has happened. They kick him out. They talk about it amongst themselves. They bring them back in and say, uh, we don't understand what's going on here. Just stop, okay? Please stop. Please stop. And Peter and John had this great response to say this. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Well, they threaten them a little bit more, and then we pick up in the passage Duncan just read for us in Acts 4, 23. On their release from this little tribunal, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. But yeah, before I came here, to work at John Community Church. I spent 16 years working with college students. I think that's why I talk so fast, because when you're 23 and just getting started in ministry to college students, if you just talk fast and with a lot of enthusiasm, no one actually notices you don't know what you're talking about. You just kind of cover it up and keep people awake and kind of keep them going. Uh, so I was working with college students for 16 years before I came here, and uh, a couple weeks ago, I got a call totally out of the blue from a, from a student I hadn't talked to in like 12 years. When he was a student, I met with him every week for like three years. Like I, I mentored him and poured into him. I knew he was in ministry somewhere, but I hadn't talked to him in over 12 years. And he called me out of the blue, we caught up a little bit, and they said, hey, we haven't talked in a long time, but, uh, but here's what's happening. God's opening this really cool door, this really cool project, and I'm just wondering, would you be willing to help me? 
would you like just come alongside and help me bounce ideas off and pray for me and kind of like ask some questions, help me kind of probe through. And I was like, I was so honored that he would, we hadn't talked in 12 years and he was looking to me to help him out. So I'm like, absolutely, that's so great. And we got off the phone and I, I had this strange mix of emotions. I was so glad to reconnect with a, an old friend I hadn't talked to in a long time. I was so happy for him. But there was this other third little annoying emotion that I couldn't shake no matter how hard I tried. And that other little emotion was jealousy. This guy was getting invited into a really, really cool project with really cool people doing really cool things. And I wanted to be happy for him. I didn't want to be jealous that he's getting these cool opportunities. But there it was. And I couldn't shut it down. And I couldn't shut it up, and I couldn't stop it. I had gotten squeezed just a little bit with the news of <laughs> some guy who's doing things. I don't even want his project. I, I just didn't realize that, that when, when I got squeezed, this hunger for recognition, for being picked, being chosen, being invited to be a part of cool things with cool projects, with cool people. Like, I didn't realize that hunger was in me until I got squeezed and something came out of me that I didn't know was in there and that I didn't really even want. That ever happened to you? Ever gotten squeezed? Not even something that threatening, that hard. But something happens, and something surfaces. You say something, or you think something, or you feel something that you don't even want or like. But there it is. See, sometimes what comes out of us when we get squeezed shows us, or at least breadcrumbs to, what we're actually hungry for, right? What, I, what, what, what came out of me was jealousy, and, but what I was hungry for was, man, I wish I was in the cool kid circle, doing the fun things and the cool projects. I wish I was sort of a part of that. that. That jealousy thing was breadcrumbs to show me this thing that I was hungry for. Now, there's a couple ways that people respond when they feel those kinds of hungers, right? Some of us chase after those hungers. Oh, yeah? I'm going to show them. I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to be on the cool kids project. I'm going to kind of be aggressive and sort of assert myself and find ways to make connections. And I'm going I'm to chase down this thing. I'm going to chase after our hunger. Some of us nearly obey our hungers. That's one way to ruin your life. On the other hand, some of us, especially good religious people, we just try to play whack-a-mole with those feelings, right? Stop, stop, stop. I was playing whack-a-mole, like, all night long. I was playing whack-a-mole. Like, I didn't want to feel jealous. I was, like, I was, like, trying to put it out. And, and man, here's, here's the thing. Like, neither obeying your hungers nor trying to ignore them and hope they go away, that's not what the Lord invites us into. You know what the Lord invites you into? He says, bring me your hungers. I want, something, I want to do something with that. Bring them to me. All of it. I can handle it. Trust me. The next morning, as the jealous voice was not going away, <laughs> eventually I gave my way to a prayer with like, Lord, I can't, here it is, I'm jealous, I don't like it, kind of embarrassed, ashamed, feels petty and small. I can't turn it off, would you just take it and do something good with it? Surrender was the response, not management, but nor was merely chasing after it. Surrender was the faithful place that got me in the place when I got squeezed and something came out of me that exposed a hunger that the Lord wanted to do something with. Peter and John have just gotten squeezed. They've been arrested, threatened, like, don't do this ever, ever again. And what comes out of Peter and John is really, really interesting. What comes out of the whole community is really, really important. Because when they get squeezed, it shows us what they're actually hungering for. The first thing that Peter and John do when they get threatened to not preach anymore about Jesus, they actually go back to the community, to the church. You know what they don't do? They don't run away from other Christians to manage the problem on their own. They don't go away from other believers or, other, or Christian community when they need it the most. 
They don't go and say, I've got to fix this myself, do it myself, manage it myself. They don't do any of that. They go toward community, not away from community, when they need help and when they get squeezed, which is the exact opposite of what some of us do, isn't it? They go toward the community, other believers. And they share with the community, hey, here's what they said to us. Now, the community is also, in, in this instance, uh, getting squeezed a little bit. In fact, uh, in just a few years from now, major persecution is going to break out among the Christians right there in Jerusalem. This is the first taste, the first foreshadowing of what's about to come. And so what these Christians do together on the other side of sort of their first place getting squeezed is this. They pray. <laughs> they cry out to God. When they heard this, they raised their voices together and prayed to God. What comes out of them when they get squeezed is prayer, not plans, not stockpiling, nor are they just in a tizzy together getting more and more and more anxious. You ever been in a room full of anxious people? They just feed off each other, right? There's feeding frenzy of anxiety and worry. Now, they might be anxious, and there, there's going to be plans, and there's going to be stuff they have to do to manage the situation. But the first thing they do is not planning, not stockpiling, not going to a, a tizzy. They pray together. When they get squeezed they turn together toward God. Listen, we have people come here all the time who've been out of church for years. If that's you, welcome, welcome, welcome back. And the story sounds, often sounds something like, hey, we were in a church for a long time, and, and then things got busy. The kids' activities got busy. The business got busy. We got busy with different things. Or we moved, and then COVID, and then I got an ingrown toenail, and I got a headache, and then my whatever. Like, you know, like the, the marriage fell apart. All the different things, right? And if that's you, welcome and welcome back. We're so, so glad you're here. But here's what I want to invite us to. When you get squeezed, what if the first response is not to pull away from God, not to pull away from community, but to press in to the people and the, and the God when you need it, need him the most. When these people get squeezed, they turn toward the believing community and together they lift their voices up to the Lord. And how they pray is so informative and so helpful when you're in a space where you're getting squeezed. They pray this, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. Sovereign Lord, that's what we're hungering for. Sovereign Lord, that's what matters most. When you're getting squeezed, what if you started with worship? When you get squeezed, start with worship. Start with the one that you're hungering for. The place to start, the place to stand is the sovereign Lord who created everything. Sovereign Lord, i.e., you have all power, all authority over this situation, over every situation. You are the almighty, all-powerful one. You created everything. You sustain everything. You're going to redeem and heal everything that's broken, including in me, including all around me. Sovereign Lord. The place we start is worship. The place... We stand is the name of the Lord. And the place where we cry out to, the name we cry out to, is the sovereign Lord. When you're getting squeezed, what if the first thing that came out of you was declaring the true name of God? Sovereign Lord. In the midst of things happening all around me, maybe I have no control over, I'm trusting in you. Now, this is what this community prays together. Now, the reality is, for some of them, there's alarm bells going off, right? 
For some of them, they're, they're anxious, they're fearful, they have reason to be. Things are going to get heated, it's going to get tense. So for some of them, this might be, not be their most natural hunger, right? The first place they might not, they, that some of them are going is not worship, it's not prayer. It's managing the problem, managing the situation, figuring things out, right? So that's, some of you are like that, right? So this is not your go-to thing, but here's what the scriptures invite us into. The scriptures say this, we don't follow our natural hungers, we ask the Holy Spirit to shape and lead our hungers. Brothers and sisters, when the Spirit of God is upon you, when the name of the Lord Jesus dwells in your heart, you don't have to be a slave to your natural appetites anymore. Isn't that good news? You don't have to be a slave to Cheerios, goldfish, craisins, raisins. You don't have to be a slave to people's approval of you, to control, to money, to independence, to getting your own way, to chasing after pleasure over and over and over again. You don't have to be a slave to these things. When the sovereign Lord's name is upon you, you can invite the Holy Spirit in to your most natural base desires and say, here they are. Shape them. Change them. Lead them. That's the invitation from the Lord. We don't chase after and follow our natural hungers. We allow the Lord to come in and shape those and remake those. John, one of the two guys that got arrested with Peter and John. Uh, has quite a story, and he's one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. And a few years before all this went down, we get a picture of John's natural hungers. John has a brother, James, who's also following Jesus. And James and John come to Jesus and say, Jesus, here's what we want. And Jesus is like, uh-oh, what do you want? Put one of us on your right hand, one of us on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. You know what they want? That's a picture of what they want. Power, prestige, honor, glory, authority. That's their natural hunger. Grasping, striving. We, so many of us get that, right? Put me at your right, your left. When you come into your kingdom, I want to be awesome, Jesus. And here they are a couple years later. Their natural hungers have matured, been put away. They pressed past what they wanted a couple years earlier. They don't want their own glory. They're not climbing, clamoring now for power or prestige or authority. They're just saying, sovereign Lord, you created all things. We look to you to be sovereign. That's our hope. That's our prayer. My friends, if you're here this morning, you're getting squeezed. If you're here this morning getting squeezed at home, at work, financial situation, medical situation, at school, dealing with hard stuff, this isn't a bad place to pray, not a bad prayer to pray as you deal with your own hungers, your own kind of responses, your own alarm bells going off. Sovereign Lord, who made everything, in the midst of everything going on, I hunger for you, I start with you, I stand on you. Sovereign Lord, you created all the stuff, you created everything, I'm going to start with worship. I hunger for you, start with you, I stand on you. That's where this little community goes when they're getting squeezed. Now, part of what's so beautiful about this prayer is also they name the terrible things that the religious leaders did to Jesus. I mean, they recite like, hey, the, 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 like Herod and Pilate, they conspired against you, and the religious leaders turned you over. And, and what they say and how they summarize that whole experience of what happened with Jesus is rather startling. They say that the religious leaders who conspired to kill Jesus did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen or should take place. So Jesus was killed by these same leaders that just like kind of grilled uh, Peter and John. And, 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 and the, the people say, listen, I know that it's this terrible thing, but you know what, God? You wanted that to happen. You willed that to happen. You predestined for that to happen. Now, the scriptures talk about this in a couple of different ways that are intention. They're not contradiction. They're just intention, right? 
how, what, how, what's God's involvement in the mess that is the world, right? What's God's involvement in the mess that is the world, especially the hard things that are in the world? And, and here's what the scriptures teach. Some things God ordains or wills to happen no matter what, right? Like Jesus' crucifixion. That was like the biggest injustice in human history. The only perfect person in history who was killed and crucified by the authorities. But you know what? God, the scriptures here, they're, they're, they're praying. You will that. You said that was going to happen. Some things God just ordains and says, this is what's going to happen no matter what. And, and what the believers in this moment are praying to God is, hey, we trust that you are sovereign even over Jesus' crucifixion. Now, if I was in that moment, that's not comforting to me. Because if God could will that, it didn't stop that, what, what could that mean for me? Could I also be vulnerable to like the worst possible form of suffering and execution known at the time? I mean, it's a horrible way to die. Like, that's not comforting to me at all. But these folks are taking comfort in the good news that even over the worst event in history, God's still in control. God is still sovereign. In fact, God willed that to happen. That was something that God planned and ordained. There were prophecies about it. It had been foretold for, for generations. This is what God was going to do. Some things God just says, this is going to happen no matter what. And yet, at the same time, all throughout the scriptures, there are these genuine invitations, prophecies, callings from God. Turn, repent, follow me, walk in this way. Over and over and over again, God cries out to his people, come this way, come this way, come this way. And sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no. And that's not prescripted. Those are real invitations. Those are real invitations that human beings are saying yes to or saying no to. Those are real invitations you and I, at various points, have said yes to God or no to God along the way. And sometimes God just says, listen, I'm just going to grieve over the fact that people don't always walk in my will or do what I invite them into. And so what, what the scriptures say is that God does not ordain everything, but he can and will redeem anything and eventually will redeem all things. God doesn't ordain everything, right? Not every terrible thing that happens in the world is like God willed it, God willed it, God willed it. That's not true. People make decisions all the time that grieve God. But what the scriptures do say is that God can and will redeem anything and one day he will, he will redeem all things when he cries out over this broken and beautiful place, behold, I'm making everything new. And so as this little community is wrestling over these religious leaders who are threatening them, they look back on Jesus' crucifixion and say, that was God's will. We trust he was a sovereign Lord then, and we continue to trust he's a sovereign Lord now. And there's mystery in that, and God might will something really terrible and really hard, but I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to trust that God is still good, even in the midst of many hard things going on. I'm going to trust that God is faithful and God is sovereign. He is supreme. That's my anchor. That's my hope. And then as they sort of pivot from that, from God's sovereignty, from God's authority over all things, they then make the turn to the requests, which is what most of us are familiar with, right? When we get squeezed, when things get hard, we ask for God to do something to help. So here's what they pray, and what they pray is so remarkable, I couldn't help but do yet another Bible Mad Lib. Now, Lord, consider their threats and blank. Listen, last time you got squeezed, what was your prayer life like? Last time you got in trouble, hard things were going on. What did you pray? This is the most common prayer I think that I hear in like small groups or whatever that I pray myself is this. Lord, keep us safe, right? Bless, protect, keep watch over, keep us safe, keep watch care. We have all kinds of like cool Bible words to use about this. Uh, like, right, and listen, nothing wrong with like praying, keep us safe, right? Like Jesus said, deliver us from evil. Like, that's an okay pray to pr prayer to pray, excellent. But that's not what they pray here. Another prayer that they might have prayed, a little bit more on the aggressive side is, get them. 
God, you got all power, all authority. Like, you're sovereign over all things. How about you give them an ingrown toenail? How about they suffer for this? How about you do something to distract them or discourage them or get them? Just do something, right? This is a little more aggressive prayer to pray. They don't pray that either. When they get squeezed, this community is under threat and challenge. Here's the beautiful, crazy thing they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I'm not hungry for safety. I'm not hungry for you to go get the bad guys. I'm hungry for the sovereign Lord and for the sovereign Lord to move in me and through me that I might proclaim the word with boldness, that I might be bold in declaring the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to save the world from sin and death, to even save the world from itself. We don't want you to keep us safe. I don't want you to withdraw me from the threat. I want you to give me the courage to step into the crazy, to step into the maelstrom, to step into all the threats and challenges, to be bold in declaring the good news of God's, of God's great love for all humanity, even the people who are threatening his church. God still so loves you, my friends, that he sent his one and only son. That even those who hate the church and ha have hated Jesus in the past are invited to repent and know love and know amazing, endless grace. Sovereign Lord, stretch out your hand on your servants. Help us to speak your word with great boldness. And then as we speak that word boldly, they pray this other crazy prayer. God, would you perform healings and signs and wonders through the name of Jesus? Like, not, in other words, like signs and wonders is one of the favorite phrases in the book of Acts that, that, that God would demonstrate something. So signs and wonders is sort of just basically a sign to non-believers that Jesus is Lord. Healing, the, healing the, the, the lame man was a sign and a wonder, a healing, a sign and wonder. So here's what they're saying. We're under attack. We're under threat. Here we, here's what we want you to do, God. Help us to be bold in proclaiming the word and help people who don't know you experience you in crazy, wonderful ways. Isn't that a crazy great prayer? When they're getting squeezed, that God would speak through them to bless other people, to bring healings, signs, and wonders. It's one of the things I pray every so often around here for our community. Because we got all kinds of people at different places spiritually. We're so glad that you're here. If you're a doubter, a cynic, a seeker, if you have a spouse that dragged you along, or you're kind of like mid, <laughs> lukewarm on Christianity and Jesus is kind of a thing in the background. I pray for signs and wonders that you would experience something. It could be big, it could be really small. It could be amazing, it could be just peace in the midst of a really difficult time. That God would show up in ways that you might be able to say, oh wow, the Lord's doing something. And I didn't think he would. I didn't even know if he was around. My prayer is that God would interrupt you with signs and wonders to invite you into his great love. But they're facing, these people are facing challenges and threats and opposition. They pray for boldness, signs, and wonders. Let me ask you, my friends, are you in a place right now where you need to pray for boldness, signs, and wonders in the midst of your threats, challenges, opportunities. Anyone here need some fresh grace, fresh boldness to live a life of faith, hope, and love? To declare the good news of God's great love to a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, family member? Anyone here need more boldness? Anyone here have someone in your life that you would love to see a sign or wonder that might wake them up to the good news of God's great love for them? Anyone here? Need to, need to pray this prayer here today? So these, this community, as they're getting squeezed, this is what comes out of them. And 
on the other side of this beautiful prayer together, here's how the Lord meets them and how the Spirit moves. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with what? With boldness. They spoke it boldly. Now, remember, it's likely that almost all these people were there two chapters earlier when they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. They were already given the Holy Spirit, and yet, here they are, a fresh filling of the Spirit. This is a great little story to remind us that God delights to be generous and extravagant with His Holy Spirit. Last week we did baptisms here, and every, after every baptism we just laid on hands and prayed for a filling of the Spirit because the Scriptures say that once we've been washed clean by the blood of Christ, God can give us the Spirit, which is the gift He wants to give us. But what we see here in the story is, listen, that gift is not a one-time thing. Like, we're invited to pray regularly for a fresh filling of the Spirit, a fresh work of the Spirit, for God's Spirit to move over and over and over again. So I want to invite you, my friends, could anyone here need some fresh comforting today? Fresh power, wisdom, peace. I want to invite you to pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit on the regular for this day's challenges, this season's challenges. they got new problems, new opportunities, and new threats ahead for this community. So the Lord, in His generosity, pours out the Holy Spirit on them in a fresh new way for a new season. May it be so for Chatham Community Church and for you, dear my friends, whatever you're facing. Now, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, has this great little summary about what the Holy Spirit's uh, community looks like on the other side of this. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, there was no needy persons among them. Like, so much crazy Holy Spirit working here, right? The apostles testify with power and authority, people becoming Christians. And then this community cares for each other in beautiful, radical ways, hungering for God, standing on the sovereignty of God, the power of God, proclaiming, worshiping the goodness of God in the midst of their threats and challenges produces amazing, crazy fruit. And when we're allowing the sovereign Lord to shape our hearts, shape our hungers, he does amazing things. He changes us individually. He shapes us into a community of people that are declaring the good news to people who don't know it. And we're caring for each other in radical, generous ways. Now listen, my friends. Let me tell you, some of us love the idea of boldness, but you don't get boldness in a healthy, holy way apart from hungering for God first. You've known people who have decided, I'm going to be bold today. I'm going to start being bold. Do you know what happens? They turn into jerks very often, very easily, right? Or it just fails. They're trying to willpower, right? They watch a bunch of YouTube videos, get pumped up. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be bold. And, they, and it turns into this like weird sideways thing. You don't get boldness by going straight at boldness. You get, you get holy and life-giving boldness by hungering and thirsting for the living God who is sovereign. Receiving his boldness, his spirit in you. And then go be bold. And then they form this community. This crazy community where they're just giving each other all their stuff. No one claims anything for their own. You know what happens though. You, know, you don't get that kind of community by going straight at that kind of community where everyone just gives their stuff away. You get that kind of community by hungering and thirsting for God first. And then it creates a community where we love each other in radical, sacrificial ways. They tried it about 100 years ago. You might have heard something called communism. It was a disaster. You know what they wanted? They wanted this kind of community without God. You know what happens when you try to form a community where no one claims anything for their own? Apart from, and take God out of the equation, it turns into the biggest massacre of human beings ever in human history. Worse than Nazi Germany. A total train wreck. Because you can't have this kind of community apart from hungering and thirsting for God first. To shape that kind of community. To create us that kind of community. To make us those kinds of people. So where do we stand? When we get squeezed, what are we hungering for? What do we cultivate in our lives? We push past our natural hungers, Cheerios, goldfish, raisins, craisins, applause, approval, control, money, pleasure. We say, hey, I'm not settling for those. 
I want to hunger for the sovereign Lord. So that when I get squeezed, what comes out of me is worship. When I get squeezed, what comes out of me is prayer. When I get squeezed, I invite the living God to come and fill me and shape me again. Today's wildly important take home. I'm going to hit some of these things in case you fell asleep early on. I want to give you the highlights to gather them all together. One, God hardwired us with a hunger for himself. When we settle for less than God, we become less than the human beings God created us to be. We don't run on the thing that God, on the stuff that God designed us to run on. Second, what comes out of you when you get squeezed? Often it can be breadcrumbs, can show you what it is that you're actually hungry for and what's in there. And the invitation is to sort of let those things surface and not either just, not just sort of lean into them, nor to play whack-a-mole with them, but to bring them to God. If you're getting squeezed, the one to hunger for, the place to start, the place to stand is the immovable rock that is the sovereign Lord. I want to invite you, next time you get squeezed, to press into worship and to prayer. To not go into fix-it mode or play mode or just worrying and spinning, but to, to fix your heart and your mind and your eyes on the Lord. Next, we don't slavishly follow our natural hungers. We invite the Spirit to shape and lead our natural hungers. This coming Wednesday, we've got an Ash Wednesday service. Quiet space, contemplative space, prayer stations out, like super, super thoughtful, reflective place. Some of you hear that and you go, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want none of that. Like that's not a natural hunger for you at all. I totally get you. Like, I'm a crazy extrovert. I mean, if I'm in a room full of people, I don't want to be there by myself. I want to talk to people. This is no, there's nothing natural about going into a space full of people and sitting quietly before a reflection station and praying to God. This doesn't come naturally to me at all. But many, many, many years ago, I realized, if I don't do this, I don't grow spiritually. If I don't, if I don't step into spaces like this, I don't become the person God wants me to become. So I didn't just slavishly follow my natural hungers. I said, natural hungers, you're coming with me to this crazy weird thing. That I don't actually naturally want to do. But I know I need to do in order to become the man, the man God designed me to be. I want to invite my friends, those of you who like hear something about like a prayer station thing, and you're like, that's, that's kind of not really my thing. I want to invite you to step in and see how God might meet you. Maybe surprise you as we give him a different kind of space and let him deepen our hungers finally. What do you need to pray for? Boldness, signs, wonders in the midst of whatever's threatening you, whatever challenges, every room. There's always more pain in the room than anyone knows. Always more pain in the room than anyone understands. What do you need to pray for? Boldness, signs, and wonders. For God to do a thing in you, through you, and maybe to demonstrate his goodness to other people. And today, as we start the series and talk about hungering for God, we're going to gather around the table where Jesus invites you and me to feast on him. To feast on what he's done for us. To feast on amazing grace. We hunger for God only because he first loved us and first hungered for us and came passionately after us. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He took the cup, he said, this is my blood. Poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. They didn't even know they needed a sacrifice. They didn't even know they needed a savior. They didn't know how much they needed what Jesus was about to do for them. And my friends, even you and I, as we come to these tables, we don't even know how much we need this. We're not even awake to how much we need forgiveness and grace and mercy. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to awaken us and quicken us and give us a hunger for him as we come to these tables. We're going to move here in just a minute to the, the stations, just a quick directions for those of you who are new. The bread is gluten-free, the cup is grape juice, so everyone's invited and hopefully able to access this. There are three stations, two up front, one in the back. We're going to move to a time of, of musical worship. It's going to be kind of a contemplative space to worship and pray. We're going to invite you to go to the stations whenever you're ready. Bring it back to your, to your chairs, and we'll, uh, we'll eat and drink 
together. As we move to the stations, uh, as we do every time we have communion, the prayer team will be available through those curtains right over there. If you've got any need for anything at all, you got any problems, any anxieties, if you're getting squeezed and you know you need some help, if you're getting squeezed and you know you need someone to come alongside you and encourage you to point you to the Lord, I, I invite you, I implore you, go to the prayer room. Those folks will be available to you and for you to pray for you. They're not going to preach at you. They're, gonna, they're not going to judge you. Just listen and pray on your behalf. Let me pray for us now as we move to our time of communion. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this gift of grace. We pray that you would awaken in us a hunger for you as we move to these tables and the gift that you have so generously given to us. We pray in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen.